Hostless this morning, but I do have a very special guest. I'm joined today by veteran freelance game designer Mike Myler. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Great. How you doing, man? I'm doing quite well. It's really cool to do a one-on-one for a change. Hindu Anthony is at a Warhammer tournament in, I believe, Sacramento. Mike couldn't be here this morning for family stuff, so it is just you and me. I'm thrilled to talk to you today. We're going to be talking today about science fiction fantasy role-playing games. But first, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am an early graduate of the University of Pittsburgh. I got a degree in film studies with minors in classics and uh, philosophy. I was just going to toil away as a landscaper until I died. And then this girl kidnapped me from a bar. True story. And now uh, it's been uh, eight years in three days. It'll be eight years. Uh, Where? No. So kidnapping, how did that go down? Did, was there a burlap sack and duct tape involved? I don't want to give too many details for fear of incriminating myself, but she offered stuff to me and said it was in the car. And then we got into the car like, like, a, like a stranger with candy. Then we got into the car and she started to drive away and she like ignored stop signs and red lights and stuff. Because I thought about getting out, but like there was no opportunity to do so because she kept the car moving the whole time. But then by the time she made that, I was like, you know, she's much smaller than me. Even if she has a knife, I should be able to get out. Like, as long as there's no gun, it should be all right. And she doesn't have a gun or anything. And she wasn't crazy. Well, she wasn't violent. Uh, She wasn't immediately. She wasn't an immediate threat. So, yeah, it worked out okay. Good save. You got to leave the crazy in there. Yeah. Like, there there was a time where I had to uh, move out because she got a little crazy possessive. Like, do you ever see Crush, Felicia Silverstone? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I think Stephanie watched it when she was younger and decided to use that character as a role model or something. But we're over that. And she's like regular, healthy human being now. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like you're digging a hole. Fortunately, she's not home to hear me talk right now. So maybe she just won't ever hear this and we'll be all right. We got a few hundred people that listen every month. If she's secretly listening to it, you're screwed. But I, I doubt there. there's probably a very small chance of that. <laughs> and she has made my life better because like um, so we, we dated for a little bit. And uh, then it became like silly. She lived on the other the opposite side of the city from me. And um, she didn't have a situation where she could move. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm done working at the landscaping place because that was way north of the city, which would have been like twice the drive time from where she lived. I was a foreman at that point, which so is a little bit bummer because I had decent pay. And then you get the winters off. Like, I don't know if you know this, but if your landscaping company doesn't do snow removal, you just get like those guys just pick up unemployment during the winter. It's fantastic. It's the best thing in the world. Like you sleep in every morning. Oh, my God, I miss it. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So I moved into the city, got a job waiting tables, started living with her. A uh, little, little trouble. And then um, when I moved back with her, she convinced me to sell one of my D&D adventures. So she was like, you spend a lot of time with this, Mike. Like, why don't you try to make a profit from it? Uh, and so then I sold one. And that was like that was like the first hit of crack. And now I just I couldn't I couldn't stop selling them. So so that became my, my whole life. Fast forward to now. 
what does a veteran freelance game designer do? I, I know that your specific situation is different than other freelancers we talked to in the past. That's true. Uh, so I started just just doing writing, right? Like I just made made content. <clears throat> but you'll find out uh, pretty pretty quickly that uh, you to to just do that and drum up enough work to support just doing that, like full time as your only source of income, uh, you will run out of work pretty quick. So then I started to do editing, and then I started to do my own kickstarters and like managing the creation of my own books, which are. Uh, intellectual properties that I own that, uh, in this specific cases, Rogue Genius Games, Storm Bunny Studios, and Legendary Games uh, licensed from me and published books for. Now, I make the book. I own all the artwork that I buy for the book, and I technically own all the ideas in the book, but they get the like RPG representations of everything, at least in a tabletop setting. Uh, and that took a long time to set up. And in the course of like managing my own project and making my own books, I have learned how to do my own maps. I've learned how to do my own layout. I've learned how to do my own graphics. And unless it's a very specific illustration, like if, if I know I need the character to have this or that thing, have this look, that feel, I won't be able to get my own art for it. But I've gotten awfully good with Photoshop, too. So I can't I can't do illustrations proper. But um, for instance, uh, Miss of Akuma, right? It's this Eastern fantasy noir steampunk setting that I have. And uh, we did order a lot of really great, cool art for it. But I also included a whole bunch of ukiyo-e art uh, because it's meant to be like a very Japanese aesthetic kind of book. And in Japan, they never got the Gutenberg Press. Well, I mean, they eventually got the Gutenberg Press. But because of the, I don't know, can I I go on a little history tangent here? Is that all right? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, so (sighs) Tokugawa era begins. Yesu Tokugawa in Japan is the emperor, like, I want to say 1650s. Maybe 1630s, maybe 1560s. I, I might be missing it up, but it's it's, it's 16th, 15th century, and he, he basically says that uh, all foreigners are banned from Japan. The only people they'll accept around are the Dutch, and that's solely for purposes of trading. So it becomes this super xenophobic culture. And when the Gutenberg typing press starts to roll around everywhere else in the world, it doesn't make it to Japan because the Dutch don't bring it. So Japan keeps using this thing called the lithograph. Uh, the lithograph, uh, for people who don't know. Uh, is like a big metal plate and you just throw the ink on there and you press it down. There you go. It's done. The Gutenberg typing press has a bunch of small keys that you can interchange. So you could like make different editions of the paper every day instead of just making one metal plate for the paper. And that's it. It takes a lot more effort and time to make a single giant metal plate than to make, you know, replaceable keys. So what happens in Japan is they have this long tradition of, Gorgeous artwork on woodblock prints um, and Kiwi. And a lot of it is is preserved very well. And a lot of the quality of it is insane. There's one guy named Kano Hagai. You look at his stuff and you're like, it looks like somebody in Marvel in 1980s drew it. Right. But it's public domain because the creator died more than 75 years ago. So Mr. Vakuma has a bunch of Kiwi art and, uh, in order to get the same amount of art for, for the book, I would have needed, oh, I don't know, $4,000 extra. So, yeah, um, I'm, I try to, be, try to be clever when I'm, when I'm going about my, my creations and work in a way so I can uh, utilize public domain artwork. And I also like how it, it like bridges the suspension of disbelief because, uh, on, in a sense, like there's, like in another example, a, a map of El Paso, Texas from like 1886 – and it's this gorgeous map. Like somebody, 
isometric drew the thing. And I took it and changed a couple of things. But when you look at it, it feels much more natural than if I had paid somebody to make a map because like it is an actual historical document. So that's, you're, that's yeah. really cool. That I never imagined that there would be such a science beyond reusing things for freelancing. We actually used public domain art for our logo. Our little robot logo is a, just a vector public domain that I filled in and added some color to. So it's cool that you can do that. I, I really went crazy with the UQE stuff because I cannot stress how gorgeous some of that artwork is. Yeah, I, the more the the deeper into the hole you go, the more the more neat tricks and, and ways you figure out to use it, and just like any other tool, you know, like uh, the a screwdriver in the hands of a, a new a new craftsman is not going to be as useful as in the hands of an old craftsman, right? And you you can stretch your budget and still have really high quality work in your in your um, games. That's true. Uh, it also lets me make much. So like, art schedule is very important to me, and I you know if you're if you if you're setting up a campaign and like a game, like a shared narrative between a bunch of people, it's good to have a, like a, a basis that you can all share. And that the quickest basis that you can make is a visual one. Right. So, and you can point to it and like, and here's what you're fighting. And you, you know, open up the monster manual, whatever, and you point, everyone's like, Oh, you know, I remember when we met um, at PaizoCon a few years ago, I had had a conversation with you that I had gotten hired by a small publisher to write something and it was my first freelance work. And your immediate question is, how are they affording the artwork? <laughs> <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense that that that's your that was your like, since that's your thing, you immediately think in those terms. Yeah, it's the biggest part of your budget. Uh, pretty much every time you make a book, uh, that, that is the one thing that will cost you the most, like pound for pound. So. We're going to have a conversation about science fantasy games. But first, at the beginning of every call, we do What's Nerdy With You. What's Nerdy With You is a game we play every week where we share the nerdiest stuff we did this week. And we vote on who got the nerdiest. There's only two of us. You had talked to me about this earlier. Do you have a gaming system that will work better for voting between the two of us? Well, I don't know if it will necessarily work better, but I thought it would be interesting if we if we each had like multiple votes and the three would be good because then I could be like, oh, you know, I like your idea a lot. Here's two votes. I still want one for me. All right. I don't know. Hey. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that at the end. <laughs> you are our guest. You always a guest always gets to go first. So what was nerdy with you this week? Uh, well, my life is a pretty nerdy, uh, but um. Since I'm, I'm going to avoid a work-related thing, although it's kind of a work-related thing. Go, feel free, because, you know, right. we run into this dilemma every time. Because the nerdiest thing I do every week is listening to myself at 1.5 speed, editing the podcast. And it this is your first time on. You have the freedom to share anything. All feel right. Free. So John Cleese has this amazing, amazing uh, seminar that he did for, like, a German television network. After you are done listening to the podcast, you should check it out. Just just uh, Google John Cleese creativity. You'll talk about it. But basically, uh, what he's learned, and John Cleese, for those of you who don't know, is uh, one of the founding members of Monty Python. I would say an essential member of Monty Python. Uh, so easily one of the funniest men in the world. What he's figured out is that there's a open mode and a closed mode, right? Most of the time we're in the closed mode. We're filling out forms. We're, we're doing uh, routine sort of like detail-oriented, uh, mentally-focused tasks. And then there's the open mode, and that's what happens after you play around for a little bit, and you just sort of get in a playful mood. 
And when you're trying to do something creative, you will be way, way, way better off if you start off in the open mode, because that's the mode where you're going to be the most creative and productive in that fashion. I think you described our podcast because we always start off structured and then it ends up going to utter chaos near the end. And that's always our best content. Yeah, like like that's what he he basically will tell you in the seminar that like, you know, after he and the guys would hang out and riff and, you know, throw ideas at the wall for like an hour and a half then they'd start to like finally clicking together and get to the meat of whatever they're working at. Um, so I play games and obviously, you know, being a game designer, that's my, that's my thing. And recently um, I bought the $5 thing for Eternal Crusade, which is this awesome, like free to play first person shooter where you're a space marine against other space marines. Uh, but my graphics card is shit and my computer kept blue screen of death in me. So I had to revert the driver. Uh, so I can't play it until I get the video card. And I looked through my Steam and I found like an old Warhammer game called um, Dawn of War dark crusade uh which is like an rts like you know command and conquer those ones and i so there's this campaign mode and there are different provinces and you fight over the provinces to rather gradually like gather them up and and defend them from the other commanders on the field and the other races and in each one of these maps because each province has a map there are strategic points you capture right and then like as you capture strategic points you get more resources and you get your army bigger and then you wipe out the other the other the other army, which is of course trying to do the same thing. And when you're attacking, you you like after you win the thing, all of your stuff stays on the map. And I figured this out somewhere about halfway through my first playthrough as the Tau. So now I'm as orcs, and uh, yeah, I'm going through the maps, and I'm like like I start you start with like one little little corner, and like it's all shadow. And now at the end of it, it'll be like an hour later. And I'll have every single thing conquered with like turrets around everything and just like one little tiny section of the map that I've been like hemming in the, the dudes like the opposite army in. And then I finally kill them after I've got it all because when they attack me, I will have all of my shit there. So they just start with one corner of the map and then I have 95% of it filled with my army already. Uh, and it's completely unnecessary because, like, all you have to do is annihilate the other army. You can do it in, like, 10 minutes if you're smart about it. But, like, I don't know. I, I, I love the idea of, like, just infesting the countryside with thousands of orcs. You get into that, like, SimCity mentality where you're, like, building this empire. And then you you can't just strategically win. You have to dominate the entire battlefield with your empire. Exactly. Exactly. It has to be a complete and total victory. That that's pretty darn nerdy. I don't know if I can compete with that, but I'm going to try. Um, so I am not I have not been much of a collector of stuff of like figurines and stuff. And I'm involved in a couple of fandoms, including I'm real involved in the supernatural fandom and because I'm on a nerd podcast, I decided that I should get a little collection and start sharing th- some things so I can have some more geeky stuff around. And so I went to um, – well, the first thing I did was I did a meetup with one of the one of the fangirls. Um, shout out to Gabe um, from the Supernatural group. We found out we were close to each other, so we did a little meetup. We ended up at Hot Topic and – I got a bunch of pop figures and they've been sitting. It's not my nerdy thing because I didn't do that this week, but I finally pulled the pop figures out this week. And I did this thing that I posted on the page where I took my fourth doctor pop figure and I wrapped my my long fourth doctor scarf around it and took a picture. But still, 
Not my nerdy thing. Out of all the figures, I have two. I have Jesse Custer from Preacher, and I have Dean from Supernatural. And I'm setting up up, up on the shelf, and I don't know what happened inside my head, but I started doing a conversation between the two characters. I'm sitting there like, what are you, some kind of preacher man? And I'm like, I'm like role-playing this conversation. And then I, I sit there and I realize I'm alone doing it, playing with action figures. It's pretty excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I um, probably wouldn't be telling people about this if I wasn't on a nerd podcast. I, it, it, I think that have been one of the nerdiest things I've ever done. I'm sitting there playing it out. I, um, I got some cool stuff. I got um, Dean with the first blade, Jesse Custer, which I thought was pretty cool because he has a cigarette in his mouth. And um, the the box said 17 plus and all the other pop figures were like three plus. So it was kind of interesting that they made one that was more mature because he has a cigarette in his mouth. Yeah, well, I'm sure they'd, they'd, they'd be fined or something or, you know. Yeah, they, they have they, toy rules that they have to follow, but it's a collectible and, you know, they want to do this. It was also I, I think it was I don't think it was a Hot Topic exclusive, but. I got uh, the two Cassidy's from that show, too. I got the one where he has like the airport stuff on with um, blood all over him. And then I got a regular Cassidy, both with a bottle of whiskey in his hand. So I've been really nerding on out on that show lately. So it was neat to be able to get a collection of the figures from it. So time for voting. All right. So you said three votes each. Yeah, I think I'll give you two two widgets Two widgets for for that because having a having an action figure conversation is pretty nerdy. I'm keeping one widget for myself, and I've decided that my votes will be widgets. I'm going to I'm going to give you one for the fact that I've totally been there before, but I'm going to keep two because that makes me win. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. So we are talking about so. We're talking about science fa- science fiction fantasy role-playing games today, and the reason why we're talking about that is because it is July right now, and August is coming up, and Paizo Publishing is releasing their star- their Starfinder role-playing game, their first second ro- their first role-playing game since they did Pathfinder RPG. It's a science fiction fantasy universe that's set thousands of years in the future of the Pathfinder role-playing game, and it's got us all science fiction fantasy nuts. As far as science fiction fantasy goes, what does that mean to you, Mike? Well, I mean, I, I'd say I've been science fiction fantasy nuts for some time now, but uh, it implies, I don't know, the science fiction part is normally very either heavy dystopian or or heavy optimistic. There's not a terrible amount of middle ground, I don't think, whenever you're talking about science fiction fantasy. It's normally... If this is the grim, dark realities of the far future where, you know, xenomorphs and also space elves and, 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 you know, everything is war or it's, you know, exploration and, you know, it's a sort of a Star Trek kind of feel, like an intrepid march into the future. As far as like the iconic would go, I think Star Wars is probably the single most iconic of, uh, of science fiction fantasy. I don't consider it science fiction personally. I'm glad you brought that up because I think the Star Wars, the the old D6 Star Wars RPG was my first experience with science fiction fantasy role playing. 
Uh, mine was uh, Star Wars D20, and I still love the Star Wars D20 system. I love the Star Wars D20. I, I never got into the Saga game. I, I didn't like the system. I don't know. I, I, I tried a little bit of uh, the new Edge of the Empire stuff, but I think I was just with the wrong group for it, you know? Yeah, I hear it's pretty cool. I haven't um, I haven't gotten into it yet. As far as um, Star Wars, did you play or did you GM? Uh, I GM'd and I have played in that one. Uh, I GM'd in high school for my buddies, and then uh, I played in a game not too many years ago, uh, right before Edge of the Empire came out. And I was what, I was a pacifist Ithorian Jedi that refused to kill people with his lightsaber, and everybody else in the party was obsessed with killing people with lightsabers. It was. It was not a. I mean, I, there were moments, but yeah, it was hard. What's an Ithorian? Ithorians are from the planets of Ithor, I think, and they look like uh, hammerhead sharks that have been stretched out. They play a very large part in the uh, Knights of the Old Republic games on the old Xbox. If you ever played it, oh, I think I've. I think I see. Like, there's one Ithorian in the movies in the Moss Eisley Cantina. Yes, yes, yes. They look cool. I mean, they, they look. I mean, like. I say hammerhead shark, but they look more like uh, human-sized tapeworms with arms, I think. But, yeah. Yeah, I think they have one of the real alien feels for characters in Star Wars. That is definitely accurate. Yeah, they definitely yeah. feel alien. Yeah. I In my um, Star Wars experience, I always played – I kind of went close to home, and I played more of – like. I, I'm an IT guy, so I always played a technician character because I, I like technician characters because it's like if your imagination can make it up, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Engineers are, are really fun to play, uh, even in like medieval fantasy. That was one of the ones that my old GM always tried me to bring back. He's like, I'll play George. Play George. I'll let you make the battle wagon this time was always the, the tagline. Yeah, one of the things I was I was thinking that was neat because Starfinder's coming out is you can play that as like a Star Wars feel. Or you can go for like a cyberpunk feel like Shadowrun. Ah, so we've been talking about that a lot on, uh, on, on I, I do a show on Wednesdays called Professional Goblins. And uh, it's with another game designer guy. So we, we talk about game design a lot. And my my big thing with Starfinder, like what I think is going to be the, the whether it makes it or breaks it kind of deal, is how prevalent and how they did space combat. And if it was done very well or not. Because if it's, if it's too good, all you're going to want to do is stay on the ship. And if it's not good enough, you're gonna every time the ship comes up, you're gonna be like, ugh. And I've heard from like PaizoCon, I guess they did seminars and stuff. They said they're planning on a frequency of being in the ship and doing space combat like once every 10 adventures or so, which I feel is low. I thought it was gonna be something like 30, 33% of the game was gonna be ship oriented, and then the rest was gonna be, you know, adventuring oriented. Yeah, I was reading about the adventure path, and they were saying that it was going to be focused on a crew on a ship. So I immediately thought, oh, that's probably not my thing. But then I've been hearing from people who played some of the demos at Gamma, and they're all really happy with it. And they think it's going to be able to integrate into an RPG quite well. Yeah, so like the way it works from uh, my understanding is that everybody has a different role in the ship, and like you all play a part in the ship's combat turn. So like the guy, the technician engineer person is in charge of like power levels and he decides okay so this much power will go to the weapons this much power will go to navigation and then the pilot uh maneuvers in such a way to like give the gunners the best possible shots depending on what you're firing at so like they they definitely made it it's not like the the pilot is the only person hanging out and doing stuff in space combat while everybody else has a cup of tea like everybody's involved so that's cool i'm just 
like if, if it's way too good, I think it's going to make it hard for them to move the, the IP forward because uh, I'm going to go into way deep, deep design stuff. So the way that, that like the reason that Paizo has succeeded is they have a subscription based model, right? Like, like the, so for, for people who don't know, Paizo was basically the people who made Dungeons and Dragons magazine. And then D and D was like, or WotC was like, Hey, we're not doing that anymore. And they were like, oh, okay, so what do we do? And they're like, I don't know. And in response, uh, Paizo, the people that became Paizo, used basically the email address list for everybody who got the magazine, and they started Pathfinder, which is a lot of people call D&D 3.75. Right? Fortunately for most listeners, we talked about Pathfinder RPG last week. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so this it's is... a great game. It's awesome. It's a, the, yeah. they, they, did, they did an awesome job. I love Pathfinder. They're very supportive of third-party publishers. They're an excellent company. They genuinely care about their customers, which I don't think WotC does. I think they make it look like they care about their customers a lot, but they don't have a lot of control over it. That's a whole other argument. I don't want to have it. Anyway, so they the reason that Paizo succeeds is that they invest very deeply in their IP, right? It's not just the game. It's the adventures. It's the campaign setting. It's the world. It's the characters. It's the stories. And that's why they've got an adventure card game. That's why they have a novel line. That's why they have multiple video games, right? Like they have an MMO and Kingmaker just funded uh, the other week with over $900,000 by 18,000 people, right? Yeah, they also so, have the Pathfinder Adventures card game video game that just came out on Steam just just in June. Exactly. So the reason that, that, that they've been able to, to do this wide multimedia thing is they've invested very heavily in the IP. And I think that the this is why I think the Starship Combat plays such a vital role because if it's just you're in the ship a lot, I don't think they're going to be able to mine that for content the way that they do their adventures that go into dungeons and hang out in cities and so on and so forth. Because like, I just don't think there's as much bite into the uh, mass effect kind of run around the galaxy and explore it. I think they're shooting for something uh, that's way more uh, meaty than what, what you, what you got in mass effect. Basically. I think they're shooting for what they shot for with the pathfinder RPG campaign setting where in the pathfinder camp, RPG campaign setting, you can run any kind of fantasy game you want and not feel like you're pigeonholed. And that that's an amazing feat to pull off. And I have faith that they can do the same thing for Starfinder. I I do as well. I just it's just if you only want to spend your time in the ship, how much time will you spend doing those dungeon delves and stuff? Yeah. You know, can you run a can you run a ship only game? Can you run a game that doesn't have a ship and not feel like you're being left out of stuff. Oh, I'm sure that you can run a game that, that has a, has a ship or, or the other way around, but like they, they run everything off. So like the, the other part of why this succeeds is their subscription based model. So uh, most of their, their revenue from what I understand comes in from the, the, their adventure path sales. Right. And they know they have a pretty good idea of how many people are going to get them because they have like a set number that have just paid for it. Like you would a comic book series, you know? So they like, they're, they're filled up for, you know, the first six issues or whatever. So, you know, you, okay, so we're, we're shipping out 800,000 units or whatever. And then they can project on that. Like, okay, well, if we know that this many people are subscribing, then we can expect another 400,000 people to pick up at their local game stores. So then they order 1.2 million units and that gives them the ability to like budget out what everything else they're doing. And both not just their like monetary budget, but the time and resources they spend with employees. I, it's it's really awesome. And I'm like, I'm I'm amazed that Watsi didn't just copy that model. 
like they're they're doing something different with like big adventure path books and um i don't know i'm I'm amazed that they didn't just like like wow paizo knocked it out of the park like I, well like we're talking about the the pocketbook part of it like what's kept me away from D 5e is i can't drop 150 bucks into three books to run the game yeah yeah that's another thing like so i don't want we're i don't want to take us too far, far away from space fantasy but like paizo really cares about people way more than watsi like watsi released the srd which is a very specific part of the fifth edition's rules it's not all of it and you can't reference it if you're not watsi so like there's one feat that you can reference as a third-party publisher one uh there's one background that you can reference as a third-party publisher unless you're on dm's guild or or like i said working for watsi on the other side of the stick like uh there's not just like one pdf that paizo has for the rules there's a whole website that is amazing that they maintain for free that you can hyperlink uh citations to i hyperlink citations to in all my books to the the paizo prd right like they 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 they, they genuinely want you to use their rule set and they work very hard to make it accessible to everybody. And I, I know they're going to do it with Starfinder too. So like, yeah, I really want Paizo to win, win, win the game, you know? So, so Starfinder, I believe is going to dominate our conversation quite a bit. We're going to keep on jumping back to it, but just to bring up some of the other science fan science fiction fantasy. Now I want to differentiate science fiction fantasy from sci fantasy because sci fantasy is like a fantasy setting like John Carter of Mars where there's some science fiction elements but we're talking about like futuristic environments where they have science fiction elements now you were telling me that you're involved in Warhammer 40k quite a bit uh I I am well uh, so I I love Warhammer 40k I got to um I even got to pitch a book to games workshops. They didn't pick it up, which is too bad. And I got to work on uh, the Tome of Decay for the Black Crusade RPG, which is where you play as evil followers of chaos. Specifically for the Tome of Decay, it's about uh, Nurgling. Nurgle. So it's really too bad that Anthony is not here today. I'm, I'm so yeah. stoked to hear that he plays Nurglings, though. That's awesome. Like, well, that's awesome. Like, like I said off the call, we can totally have you back and we can dig more into that. And yeah, he, that's what he plays. That's his main thing. And that's what he's doing right now. Yeah. So I think it was like my first Gen Con and I went and bought like a ticket to play in a Black Crusade game. So I was like in the like little playroom for the Warhammer 40K that year, the RPGs anyway, tabletop. I brought like my resume and uh, this thing I had made for my home game, which was the Terrestis, which is like the, the crux in the Black Crusade RPG that like ties everybody together because playing evil characters and the things that evil characters would do to one another would not allow them to hang out as an adventuring group, right? Like you just backstab everybody, right? So you make this pact and the game suggests using the Terrestis as like book of destiny that binds everybody together uh, as your like a meta plot item that keeps the party, you know, cogent. So I made one in, in like physical form. Like I took a piece of paper, I printed out like, you know, with cursive script and stuff and then I covered it and, runes and like uh markers and then i bled it with water so it looked like this cool like you know little old book 
And uh, I included my resume and the, the guy who was running the game room also was one of their major employees at FFG, which is often the case. Like they bring their staff to work at cons. And he was like, this is great. Do you want to work for us? And I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? Yeah. Then I got on the, the team for Tome of Decay, which is the last the last uh, book they did for uh, Black Crusade. I kind of bent everybody towards brain diseases because that wasn't something that we had like the Warhammer 40K Nurgle stuff had gotten to yet. They're pretty like Nurgle is the god of uh, disease and decay so like they had covered the ground pretty good there's a particular encephalopathic pathogen that really interests me called uh i forget the proper name for it but it's the laughing death is what it's called uh they found it in these cannibals in the south pacific so basically what happens is you, you they they would ritualistically eat their uh the brains of their father uh after their death the prions in the brain would attach the prions in their brains and slowly decay one or another part of the 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 brain that uh initially starts with just like random bouts of laughter and then ends when you just can't stop laughing and die from it and i always thought wow that's a cool way to die i want to eat my dad's brains did not go over well with dad not allowed to do it (laughs) (laughs) so you you integrated that into what you wrote yeah, well, I, I, I had to write different stuff. They gave me the world of Meyer, uh, which was like this giant mud cesspool place. And they liked it enough that like what I wrote about Meyer, that they made that like where the the end of the adventure in the Black Crusade books happens, which was like totally awesome. I did stats for the regular nerglings and, and his, you know, regular followers. And then I convinced them to um, there was a little pushback, but they convinced Games Workshop. Let me do it. It's called a Ludo Morbus. It's like a, a, a warlord titan sized uh just like corpse golem that throws corpses which explode and uh other terrible horrible things i was really happy about it i cannot wait until eventually they make a miniature of it because i'm gonna buy that shit in a second but yeah and then everybody else was was like uh yeah they they, they, everybody else got more disease stuff and they wrote a lot of stuff about about brain disease so yeah when you read in tome decay and you see like stuff about the brain coming oh the brain soup yeah no i did include brain stuff directly in my in my things now that i think about it there's like a the only civilization proper on Meyer is a uh, this uh, disgusting parody of the Imperium of Man led by this dude that uh, is huge and fat and like you know way dedicated to Nurgle and he eats the the soup of uh, a soup of brains every day and that's what gives him all his psychic like, power. So I did I did include a little bit of brain stuff in my radio for that. But yeah yeah I'm a big old warmer for you, fan. So we we mentioned Star Wars and Star Wars is science fiction fantasy because it's in a futuristic area. You have spaceships, you have blasters, you have aliens, but you also have swords, which are like laser swords, lightsabers, and you have magic, which is the force. What makes Warhammer 40K? And I'm so happy we're talking about this because we did a Warhammer 40K episode, but we focused on the miniatures game. We just basically touched on that there are RPGs, but we didn't get a chance to talk about them. What makes Warhammer 40K tabletop RPG science fiction fantasy rather than just science fiction? Well, that's an excellent, excellent point. So for a little background of Warhammer 40K, it's 40,000 years in the future, and there's this guy named the God Emperor who uh, basically saved mankind and then spread them across the stars. And then terrible things happened. All these different colonies across the the universe get separated from one another. They change and so on. And after 10,000 years or so, they're back in contact. The God Emperor is nearly dead all the time, and they sacrifice a bunch of people every day, specifically psychic people, which are very rare. 
to keep him alive so that they can use his power as like a beacon to navigate around the universe. So it's very, very dark and gothic, right? The reasons that I would say it's fantasy are there are classical fantasy races. Like there used to be squats. They're still in canon, but they're much, 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 much less prominent now. Uh, They're basically dwarfs, right? They were humans that were on high gravity worlds and are very associated with tech and mining. So, you know, dwarves. Uh, Then there are space elves, uh, which formerly they called Eldar, but I think they're just straight up calling them space elves now. There are orcs, which are uh, mostly like your traditional orcs, uh, except with their like genetic breeding. There are like a race called Necron, which are these uh, robot undead, right? So you're hitting all these these regular fantasy monster elements. The other part, there's, like, there's magic. Uh, in that specific setting, it's all about psionics and psychic power, but I mean, it is magic. And there is proper, I mean, like that. Uh, Depending on how you look at it, the, the warp, you could say, like, Chaos Sorcerers are doing proper magic, but it's still just psionics. And then uh, the last element would be that they try to... There, So there is this weird dystopian treatment of technology. So, like, if you work uh, at, like, an office or something uh, where you type in information, if you were to open up your machine that you type information into, they would maybe kill you for it, Right. And they give this huge air of mysticism to machines that, and claim that there are machine spirits that they have to do like rituals and invocations for. And really, they're just like touching keys and stuff. And the only people that were wise to it all were the squats. Uh, and like I said, they're less prominent now. So there's this very heavy religious overtoned uh, mysticism to technology. And all of that combined feels like magic. And, and that, would, that would be what makes it fantasy as opposed to just science fiction there's some silliness in warhammer 40k too and there it's it there is some stuff that's just completely tongue-in-cheek i would say it's a lot of gallows humor uh there's a there's a novel series uh in particular that's hilarious that i strongly recommend about syaphis kane uh who is a commissar which is like a morale officer right because like sometimes the army loses their courage and it's the commissar's job to shoot somebody in the head and convince them it's better to drive forward than go backward and Commissar Kane is always trying to get himself to the positions and places where he is least in danger and always ends up going like directly into some secret ambush or, or you know, evil enemy trap or whatever. But like he's he's just and then he comes out looking like a hero and everyone loves him and he tries again to get away from danger and goes right directly into it. It's hilarious. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a gallows humor going on in Warhammer 40K, although I, I, it's it's a little more grimdark. All like there's I can't think of a f- single funny piece of artwork that I've ever seen for Warhammer 40K. You know what I mean? I tend to think of some of the artwork for the orcs because we were we were talking about lore in our Warhammer 40K episode, and we were talking about things like orcs that have to either bash their helmets to fit their misshapen heads, or bash their misshapen heads to fit their helmets. Also, if you make it red, it goes faster. So they paint everything red. Yeah, we talked about that too. They um and that there no one really knows how their ships work. Their ships are just run on belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their weapons too. Uh, there's a good chance if you pick up an orc weapon, it won't even fire. It'll it's just jammed. It's they they just think it's gonna work. And yeah, their race is really neat. Like I said, they, their genetics are a little different from fantasy, regular fantasy orcs because they're like a fungus, right? Like there's no mom and dad situation. Like, they're just a fungus that grows spores that become orcs. And uh, I don't know. I really love I love that. 
It makes me wonder what the comic relief of the Pathfinder RPG, the Goblins, are going to be like in Starfinder, because I haven't read anything about that yet. And it's something that I just want to know. I want to know how are those iconic Goblins are going to continue to be as zany and crazy as they are in this science fiction universe. Well, if you didn't get it yet, the um, they released a, like a little preview bestiary kind of thing for free RPG day called Starfinder First Contact. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to get that yet. I'll, you can I'll, download the PDF. It's for free on Pazza.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. They, they, there is a goblin in it. Uh, the artwork is spot on. It looks just like, you know, the Pathfinder goblin, but in space with like a bandaid over its, its space bubble helmet. Sounds like the, a similar kind of thing to the Orcs in Warhammer 40k. Yeah, yeah, I think the orcs, the orcs in Warhammer 40k are a little more like hard, hard, strong arm, brutal, bullish. I would, and I, I think there's more trickery with the goblins. You know, it makes me makes me wonder about a lot of things in Starfinder. I guess we're just gonna have to wait till August till we can actually see it. But I will definitely check out that preview. One science fiction fantasy game that I've been real into, and I have a huge collection of. And a lot of RPG players are going to groan when I say this, but Rifts. Yeah, I never played Rifts myself. Rifts has a reputation for being a unbalanced game, but I've always liked that about it because it gives the GM more freedom to come up with what they want to do. And you can you can run any kind of campaign you want within that universe. It's a post-apocalyptic game that's set several, like very far in the future. I don't know the exact number, but there's... There's an evil empire called the Coalition. There's societies of magic throughout the world. It's basically set up like all these rifts happened, decimated the world. And there's alien creatures and there's demons and all sorts of stuff from other universes. All these ley lines around the world went overloaded. So it's a much more magic heavy plus lots of super science RPG. One of the cool things I think they did with Rifts was they took the St. Louis Gateway Arch and they literally turned it into a gateway where giant monsters came out of it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've heard, I, I'm familiar with Rifts and uh, I hear the Savage Worlds Rifts is popping off, so that's cool. I don't know. I, I try to, I know industry stuff. I, I yeah, I don't know. I got I got weird feelings about risks from other things that I know that have nothing to do with the game. So, I don't, I don't yeah, I, I, I'm I'm aware of a lot of the the industry stuff that's happened with Palladium. Yeah, they they had some crazy things happen. Yeah. Um, but as far as the setting goes, as far as the setting is a really good example of a science fiction fantasy game. You got old technology from super science days being used in a post-apocalyptic world you have fantasy monsters you have the ability to use magic you also have the ability to use all sorts of high-tech weaponry or you can play people who don't have access to that stuff navigating the world that's like that i i got enamored with those games a long time ago and i've been i've been real involved in them another another game we had um said we were going to talk about was Shadowrun, which I thought, you know, when I originally heard about Starfinder coming out, I couldn't imagine it being used in cyberpunk. But talking to people, everyone, a, a lot of people are saying that's the kind of game they want to run. And they think Starfinder would be perfect for that. Have you played Shadowrun before? Yeah, played a lot of Shadowrun. I actually really like the setting for Shadowrun. It's amazing. It's really cool. All the video games are dope. Uh, I even have one of the novels. 
the the system itself leaves a lot to be desired. And I tried to convince my buddies to like, I was like, Hey, let's play Shadowrun." And they're like, Oh God, do we have to play Shadowrun?" And I was like, okay, well, uh, what if we make Pathfinder Shadowrun?" And they're like, oh, okay, I could do Pathfinder Shadowrun." So yeah, I've already done Pathfinder Shadowrun. It's great. It, it does work really well. Honestly. I haven't, I I've, I've, I've played a teeny tiny bit, but for the listeners, what would Shadowrun be described as? Well, Shadowrun happens in, I believe, 2076. I don't know what the current timeline's up up to. Uh, and it's this uh, really awesome take on bringing fantasy into a modern setting. So uh, magic in the fifth world. And this is tied to other uh, other other games and campaign settings. Like uh, It's tied to Earthbound, I think it is. And... Uh, Anyway, magic is like a tide, so it comes and goes. So it comes back, and, you know, the first people that get it are uh, Native Americans, which in the political climate at the time are, like, in uh, sort of like a fenced-in reservation sort of uh, uh, hostile camps. And uh, one of the guys gets it, breaks out of the camps, gets a bunch of other shamans together. They do something called the Great Ghost Dance and cause a bunch of volcanoes to erupt. And, like, that's the, 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 like, the big symbol the gong, you know, that, that strikes magic back into the world for everybody else. Uh, people start like having babies that suddenly transform into goblin or well, yeah, I think goblins, goblins, dwarves, orcs, trolls. Uh, so like, you know, there's these huge schisms and like, there's a, you know, human humanitarian or not humanitarian, a humanity first sort of like KKK organization uh, that's obsessed with humanity. Elves come back. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It's a really great, uh, like there's there's you know magicians and shamans and uh, a sort of Jedi like class called uh, uh, what are they called physical adepts. The system itself is cool for character creation and pretty good for the first couple of games you're gonna play. Uh, but as soon as you start picking up more abilities and stuff, you end up rolling a hell of a lot of dice often. So combat rounds get dragged out, and there are certain things that you can do in every version of the system I'm aware of thus far that make it unfun for other people. Like playing a drone guy is cool until you're taking three turns for everybody else's one turn or, you know, the super fast guy that goes three times for everybody. Or if somebody goes into the matrix, they get like seven turns or something. And it's, it's crazy. A lot of other games have, uh, you know, you, you see if you, if you're familiar with a lot of different RPGs, rather than just focusing on one, like a lot of people do, you notice that there's balance issues in every game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My, my, the problem with Shadowrun is that they're they're pretty much if you don't make the thing verboten or if you don't take somebody like, OK, the guy went into the Matrix. So, you know, session will end early today. Bob, stick around for an hour so we can, you know, do this. And we'll, you know, if you time it right, like there are ways around it, but you have to be explicit about it. And some games are more balanced than others. Yeah, I don't know. Shadowrun would be in the, the not as balanced category, I would argue. Still so- fun. So to bring to bring things back to Starfinder, as a game designer, do you have any projects coming up related to Starfinder? I do. We are planning on kickstarting. Uh, I think sometime in quarter three, we're still we're still figuring out a couple of things for other projects. But we have like a lot of the work done already for uh, an adventure path called Arcfinder. Uh, but yeah, I, I need to get my hands on the Starfinder book and I need to read it thoroughly before I can really get moving on that. So sometime after August. Yeah. So planning starts in August. Oh, well, no, we've already planned it. Like we know what's going to happen in each adventure. 
I just don't know how big my word counts are going to be because I don't know how much space I'm going to have to spend on this or that part of game design. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. Do you have anything you can share? I, well, so the first adventure will be called Escaping Hyper Earth. Uh, and it's, so it's going to be in the Hypercore universe. Hypercore 2099 is uh, my, my basically it's Shadow, it's Shadow Run for Pathfinder uh, with some superheroes added in. So like if, uh, if you're familiar with Pathfinder, it works like Mythic Adventures does, but it works in a sort of uh, perpendicular, uh, perpendicular direction. So like Mythic Adventures makes you really invincible and feeling godly. Hypercore will make you feel very powerful but also vulnerable. So there's a lot of like getting knocked down and getting back up. And um, the, the GM is supposed to stack the odds extremely high against you. And then there's like a narrative element that you get control of uh, that lets you, you know, bring the scale back up for yourself. It's very exciting. And that's the, that's where it's set. Uh, our, our take was a little bit more, we introduced uh, fantasy elements through like portals and stuff in the 1800s so they've been on earth for 300 or so years and then this huge arc appears around the planet and causes all the superpowers to stop working for everybody uh which causes like major mayhem among all the hyper corporations which is where the hypercore part of the title comes from they send up teams to the the arc and the first two die and you are the third team sent up and uh you don't die you you succeed where everyone else failed you get off the planet and then you find out there are other arcs, and in order to permanently destroy this one, you have to dismantle or um, disrupt the others. How many do we have planned? I mean, like we 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 have, I think. We, we, I don't want I don't want to say a wrong thing. I've been very deep in other projects, so I haven't looked in this for a while. We'll have First, an opportunity to talk about those other projects in a minute too. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Escaping Hyper Earth, uh, which will start at level five. That's me. Savannah Broadway is writing an adventure called Ghost Planet. Uh, that'll be level six. Uh, then there's Mania on Mantixies, which is going to be uh, a co-written adventure. It'll be me and a guy named Tim Hitchcock, who has written a ton of Pathfinder material and is one of my favorite people. Uh, did you get to meet Tim at any point or no? No, I never have. I'm, I've, talked to, I've talked to Savannah. I've never met Tim. Uh, Tim's great. He's yeah, a little we, bit um, shut in but we had the order of the ember die on a few months ago oh cool 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 yeah so i got to talk to savannah after that she wasn't on the show but you know hopefully we'll maybe we'll have her on in the future i haven't reached out to her yet oh she's great i had her she's part of my uh my core design team i, I bring her along everywhere oh that's awesome i can't recommend her highly enough she used to be a, a paizo intern um so you're doing the first book and she's doing the second and then tim's doing the third uh, me and Tim are doing the third. We're working together. You and Tim are doing the third. And then uh, for the fourth book, which will be level eight, is Depths of the Megalopolis by Michael McCarthy. And uh, Michael McCarthy also is another guy who works a lot of stuff uh, for Paizo and is is someone I drag along with me everywhere. He's great. He's Canadian. He's one of the friendliest people I've ever met in my entire life. I love him. Uh, you should have him on, too. You, you, will, you will like Mike. Everybody does. Oh, that's awesome. That's That, that makes me really happy. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's, he's super agreeable. That's why I use him as my editor most of the time. Um, well, I mean, I have him write stuff, but I also have him edit because I know that his tolerance for, for bullshit is enormous because he's a super polite Canadian. So, like, he will tolerate me as I fight with him over this or that thing, you know? Yeah, one of the things we, you know, it's when we're when we're picking guests to be on, 
it's, you know, we're not a straight interview show. So it's figuring out what we're going to talk about is the hardest part. So it sounds like if he's real friendly, we should be able to have a cool conversation about something related to what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. And he does a bunch of nerdy stuff, too. Cool. And then uh, Luis Loza, who does a ton of stuff for uh, for Paizo as well. He's doing uh, Arctimus Prime, which would be for level nine characters. And then uh, Catastrophe on Koenig, which I will be writing is the sixth book and sixth planet. And that is uh, for 10th level PCs. And then we have Thurston Hillman has agreed to be a stretch goal, which is awesome. He'll write like a player companion. And uh, Thurston's like running the Starfinder Society like for Paizo as a full time employee. So like, ah, that's amazing that you that you got him for a stretch goal being that he's doing that because that's. Yeah, I know. He's his job is insane right now. Yeah, he'll 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 be doing a, like a player companion uh, as long as we beat the stretch goal for him. But like, yeah, that's that's super duper awesome. And then Michael Allen, uh, who also does some Paizo stuff, is on for um, an adventure as well, as long as we hit his stretch goal. And I'm sure I'll come up with some other ones. That's awesome. Um, that leads us into our wrap up for the show. Please tell us what you're doing right now. And what you want to tell our listeners about. Okay. Uh, well, I am working on, let's see, an adventure for 2099 Wasteland, which is my 5e campaign setting. Which, uh, it's like a, it's like Fallout, but with fantasy. We, should, we probably should have talked about it earlier. <laughs> it's perfect. It's, yeah, it's an apocalypse with, with fantasy elements. Um, and it's got like a, a setting generator in it. And the adventure is basically like an example, like a very long form example of how to do that uh, repeatedly. So like whenever you play, like you don't have a whole world set up. You just have a region that you randomly generated. And then the GM decides like the specific parts of that. And then as the players go around, they, they uncover more regions. So this would be one region. It's called Balliantor. I'm working on the Book of Exalted Darkness, which is uh, two books, actually. One for playing evil characters and one for playing good characters in a holy decopunk world called Askis. Uh, still amazed that I got away with that. I'm in the middle of that right now. It's, it's it's really fun. I have to wait for Legendary Games to tell me what artwork they have that would, might work for this or that part before I can order it. But I have like $2,000 to order artwork from Mindy Martin. And I'm so crazy excited to do it because she's such a good artist. Uh, have you ever seen Mindy Martin's work? Or? No, I have not. Uh, okay, well, she did the cover for 29 and Wasteland. And uh, she runs Tortoise and Hair Creations. But once you see it, I bet you I bet you'll have seen it on like something because she doesn't do just like RPGs. She has like gallery showings and and does board games and other a bunch of stuff. Like, How do you spell her name? Indy Martin. I-N-D-I space M-A-R-T-I-N. Let yeah, me take a look real quick. She's and she's really good. Like on the cover of 29, 29 Wasteland. Uh, the mutant is my dad. The blonde woman is my mom, and the brunette is my wife Stephanie. And like they totally look like I mean, you look like my mom was like, "Oh my god!" And then my dad was like, "Why do I have to be the mutant?" And so then I had to get an interior illustration of my dad not being a mutant because I didn't want to hear about it the rest of my life. Oh, she did the cover artwork for Book of Exalted Darkness. Yeah, there you go. There's one you know right right there. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh my god, so gorgeous!" Right. Yeah, listeners, if you want to find her, you can find her at indigowarrior.deviantart.com. She does some fantastic work. I'm looking at it right now. She's amazing. I know, and she's fast, and she's like, like listens, and is a. I I I recommend her to. She's my first recommendation to everybody, unless they specifically 
are doing an RPG thing that is complicated because there's another guy that I use often called Jacob Blackman. And Jacob is like a hardcore gamer. So if you need somebody who like will get like insights from the stat block or whatever of the monster he's drawing, that's the guy I tell him. But otherwise, in all other cases, I send people to Indy. I'm looking at one of her pieces for Hypercore 2099 Wasteland. And it's like a wizard with technological gauntlets and a technological staff and with yes. like planets all around him. Oh, my gosh. I, so, I cannot urge you more. Check this. Check this woman out. She's amazing. So like uh, for so 29 and the Wasteland was a Kickstarter. All my campaign settings are Kickstarter. And uh, we included warlords in the book. Right. Like because like, you know, I wanted to include like major NPCs as adversaries that you can include as a GM. Right. I had everybody vote like I knew I was going to have the Bureau, which is like the MI, the remnants of the men in black, basically. And then like the Atomic Army was somebody they voted for. What else did they vote for? Oh, Roadbeard, Chainbeard's Roadmasters. So like if you want to play like Mad Max D&D or Mad Max, Mad Max D&D 5e. Um, and then the overwhelmingly like the one thing that everybody really, really wanted was um, Merlin in the Wasteland. So, yeah, that, that's Merlin. And when I did the art order, I was like, and if you could do it, like with all this other crazy stuff going on, if you could do it, if you could make him Spaniard, that would entertain me greatly. And she did. If you look at him, he looks like an old Spanish guy. Like, look really close. Ah, so good. I can see it. That's amazing. I know. That's such a specific (laughs) thing to ask for. Ah, I love Indy. She's so good at her job. So, yeah, I get to order like $2,000 of art for her. Ah, I'm so crazy about it. Ah. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing that. And then I have um, Mr. Vakuma released for Shadows of the Demon Lord. And I have to prepare the print book version of that. And then I have an adventure, a uh, fourth adventure for it that I have to put through layout for D&D 5e uh, called The Scourge of Robaishita Temple, which I was really happy about because I got to include my first like um, in, in the Mr. Vakuma, the hobgoblins are basically uh, samurai space marines. If I were to boil it down real, real low. And you had me I, at Samurai Space Marines. Exactly right. And they're hobgoblins, which is just so much cooler for me because like hobgoblins typically in fantasy are like goblins, but they're human sized. They're orange and they're like super militaristic. So like a perfect fit. Perfect. I don't know why, but I've always pictured them having a militarized agent aesthetic to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they fit in like super well. And I got to make my first art order for it. And I got it from my buddy Chan. And um, I don't know. It's it made me feel kind of stupid because like, hey, is is the first time that I've hired somebody of color, which I like. Uh, I'm sorry, an African American because like, Luis is of color. He's I guess Latin or something like that. He likes tacos and his name's Loza, so I assume that he's Latin in some variety. But yeah, it's the first time that I hired a black guy, and I felt like stupid because like, why hadn't I? Like I've been doing this for like four years, you know. So that made me feel dumb, but it also made me happy because like, it's the first time he got professionally commissioned for a piece and now he's like working himself and doing more than just like being a fry cook because i was always like come on jan like you can art like do art and i convinced him to do this piece and now yeah now he's like he's actually making a go of it so it makes me extra happy for that reason and uh, that's cool it's cool that you were woke and now you're focusing on diversity yeah yeah and and the next set of professional goblins i was looking the other day i was like holy shit like half of our guests more like not more it's like 80 percent of our guests are white guys and I was like, OK, so I'm trying the next couple of weeks. We're trying to do like just women. And then we got to have a uh, who's Wednesday is going to be this next show is going to be Dwayne. Uh, I guess an African-American college kid. I don't know him too well. He's cool, though. He worked on um, uh, Adera. Oh, if you haven't talked about Adera, Adera is like 
seriously, it is Starfinder, but for Pathfinder. Uh, and it's done by a bunch of people who work on Pfizer. Yeah, I was I was seeing that there's a bunch of projects jumping up like Starjammer is a thing. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's more fantasy in space. That from is what more, I understand. I think Avera is going to be way more compatible with Starfinder than Starjammer will be. Starjammer is is basically Spelljammer, which was a D and D second edition module. And I know this because we use it a lot in my high school game uh, that my buddy jammed. It was like a big crustacean shell run by Sonic Powers owned by Mind Flayers or something and let you go like you know, between worlds and dimensions and all kinds of shit. You also got miniature giant space hamsters from that game. Truth. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to find your podcast, how do they do that? Uh, you can go to YouTube and or I mean, if you just Google professional goblins, it'll get you somewhere. Uh, that'll have it. But on my website, www.mikemyler.com, uh, you will find a button for professional goblins. You will find a button for all my campaign settings, all of which have free stuff because I'm a big believer in free. And then uh, I also have a blog series called Hyperscore Marvel, where I use that like hyperscore system I was talking about to make iconic characters from the Marvel Universe uh, by request. Uh, yesterday was Cyclops. No, today was Cyclops. Uh, then there's Street Fighter D&D, where I use rules from Mr. Akuma to make Street Fighters. I'm almost done with that. Uh, that there's only three more posts, and there's going to be like 25 people. Everybody from Street Fighter 2, Turbo, and back is on there with a couple extras. And then um, I'm starting uh, D&D 5e hack for Warhammer 40k, uh, which should start in August and run for a couple months. But yeah, yeah. Check out, check out MikeMiler.com. A bunch of free stuff there, professional professional goblins and otherwise is that the best place for people to find you and get a hold of you do you have a twitter i have a twitter as well uh at mike myler two uh, that being the number two and then you can also hit me up on facebook or google plus uh, i'm pretty accessible just send me a message or whatever um are there any conventions you're going to be at soon that people can find you in person yes uh i'm actually moving to new zealand in october uh for a job i got hired for a full-time gig uh, but before that, I will be going to Gen Con, and that will probably be my last appearance in the United States for a while. But I'll be at the uh, End Transmission Games booth, which I think is in Artist Alley for the duration of the dealer's room being open on every single day. And then I'll be rolling around uh, afterwards. That's awesome. I wish I could be there this year. I got it. It, it feels like this year everyone I know is going. It's going to be insane. Uh, they sold out on tickets, and that includes the uh, Luke Soil Stadium. The four-day tickets are gone. Saturday tickets are gone. So you could go for Sunday, Thursday, or Friday. And if they had the Luke Soil Stadium, I think they're probably looking at like 250000 minimum for like their, their, their ceiling on maximum number of attendees. Yeah, it'll be insane. Uh, I wasn't going to go, but uh, and Transmission Games, A, hired me to do some cartography for them which is great because uh, the the rate at which I can do cartography and the money I get for it compared to writing or virtually any other task is crazy. Uh, so I was happy for that. And then they're, they're paying me like gas and like hotel and the badge and everything. So like, you know, I've never had such a, it was way too good of a deal to pass up. I didn't want to go because I, I don't know. I don't like, I don't like giant crowds and, and stuff, but um, you know, somebody offers you a, stick a gold take the stick of gold you know? i can relate to that the one time i went to gen con it was hey do you want a plane ticket in a hotel room yeah and they I offered went, me a plane ticket and i was like no i'll just drive give me money for gas 
I'm all the way in California. You're a little closer. I am closer. Yeah, it's only about six, six and a half hours. And uh, I don't know. I got I got a speeding ticket the one year, which sucked. But otherwise, oh, yeah. And then the other the, the year where the crazy anti gay law was up, I had to drive through with blue hair, which was uh, uncomfortable when I had to get gas. But otherwise, it was fine. This is part where I'm just going to talk about some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm not really doing anything special this week. I'm just playing Pathfinder today. So that most likely will end up being my nerdy thing next week. What are you I playing? I joined a game. I'm actually moving to Portland, Oregon at the end of the year. And the guys at my local game shop knew I was moving. So they they were like, no, you have to join our game until you move. I've been having a blast. I play a, I play a bard in this specific game seventh level bard who is a a fan fiction writer for and romance novel writer for adventuring life is he also a diplomancer or are you are you um, she, she 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 and, okay yeah she's a diplomancer is um for listeners that's a character who's more of like a face and like the person who talks their way out of things um, diplomancy he, is the most powerful form of magic we had a situation where i talked us out of a fight with a lich See, that's what I'm saying. Diplomancy. Most best magic. Yeah, the the GM in question is really good. Like the GM had um, written in like he improved in that the Lich was familiar with my novels. So <laughs> we had this conversation where the Lich held person on everyone in the party and made them listen to me tell them the synopsis of one of my books. So it's like, was it like the the scene in uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where the Vogons are reading the poetry and everybody's just like, ah, <laughs> it was it was pretty similar. I I like this character a lot because I got to come up with names of books like I come I came up with um, too many tentacles, a tale of two ropers. That's pretty. That's a t- oh. um, that's no bull. A, min- a minotaur love story. I don't think you're going to beat the tentacle ropers. T- yeah, it it. I, I I probably should have gone with Mind Flares, but we were playing Pathfinder. I, I you know, I pay. <laughs> Fair enough. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's been pretty it's been pretty fun. I'm really looking forward to going tonight because of Comic-Con coming up. We didn't think we were going to get any games in July. So it's nice that we got this one. Um, the It's a comic book and game store. And so. It's like multi-convention season right now, so it's really, really lucky that we're getting a game. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I used to play at my FLGS, but it's uh, halfway across the city now, and I don't own a car because that would be the only reason I had the car would be to go play a game once a week. So we're playing at one. We're playing at this dude's house, and this guy's amazing. He's got a giant Hersarts collection. He's got all the 3D terrain incredibly well-painted, well-sculpted, well-detailed. Um, he's got a huge mini collection. Um, he also has um, the capacity of creating like a gaming table where it's a raised surface with LED lights underneath. That is dope. So it's 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 pretty cool. And, and it's not like I'm just doing it limited until I move because they have a giant screen on the wall where I can Skype in. So I'm going to be able to continue in this group after I move. Dude, that's dope. Yeah, what, uh, it's what it's a do you know what uh, program they use for that um, for for the Skype? So whenever you go to use miniatures and you're from afar, there is a program I would strongly recommend you guys look into called 3D Virtual Tabletop. It is specifically for for the kind of thing you're talking about where like one or one or two people are Skyping in. And then like if he were to take like another TV or put like you said, there was one LED lights in the table. 
if we were to put a table like a, a thing under that, then you could have the map there be the map, and then you guys could share the same map at the same time, like on different devices in Portland or wherever. It sounds like the kind of thing that Rob would be interested in. So yeah, yeah. that would be pretty cool. The um 3dvtt.com. This is a dude who built a 3D printer from scratch. Oof, that's a feat. Yeah, with a, like the Raspberry Pi setup and and this like cabinet that he built for it with foil going all around the 3D printer. That's awesome. Yeah, I he's the most phenomenal GM I've ever met. I'm thrilled to be part of this group. It was amazing when they invited me and I got to meet these guys and play with people that I know at the game store that I've from when I organized when I did organize play there because I used to be eventually lieutenant. And um, so I was like the main organized play guy. And these guys have all kept in touch with me. And we've become really good friends over the years. And it's it's nice to actually be able to socialize with them and play games with them outside of the store. Yeah, that's cool. I, I've uh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone I've made like really good friends with from the game store, maybe one or two people, but uh, nobody with like an awesome super dungeon in their basement. Yeah, this is quite amazing. This is, I, I mean, you walk through the guy's garage and you can see the new molds out. And I talked to him about turnover for his Hertz arts. And he said he's been doing it for so long that he can finish them really fast. He can do very, very detailed dungeon pieces in just a couple of, in like a day. Dude, it's sweet. So, um, listeners, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do that at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com. Anthony at dot uh, 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 com. You can also reach us on Twitter at Super Vegan Brian at Nerdcaster Mike at Nerdcast Radio. We are a small podcast. Um, we would like to get bigger. Please leave us reviews on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. That would help us greatly. It would. It's always get get feedback. If you have negative feedback for us, please leave that too. It'll let us know what we can do better. We love you guys, and thank you for listening to us. And Mike, dude, you have been an awesome guest. We have been talking about everything under the sun, including the topic we came on to talk about. Um, you do tangents like a boss, man. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm glad that you enjoyed my tangents so much. I uh, I don't know. It's 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 good to know some historical facts, and, and uh, I try to make them relevant. Like, I love telling people about that lithograph stuff, like... Ah, that's so cool. It's so oh, cool. I'm a huge fan of Japanese history, especially Mehi Restoration. Getting to hear you talk about that was a it just warmed a, a nice geeky place in my heart. And I might I that may be since the other guys are here that aren't here, that may be my nerdy thing this week. That may be the first time I use something on an episode of the podcast as the nerdiest thing I did all week. Dude, you you should definitely check out Mrs. Vakuba, because like the it came out of I was like sitting here late at one night, like three in the morning, and I was like, what if like when Commodore Perry rolled into Edo, like, what if they had magic? How would that have gone differently? And like that's where Mrs. Vakuma started. Like you you need to check out that one. Oh shit. Is that A K U M A? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like the uh Street Fighter character. It means demon in Japanese. Cool. I'd be looking forward to checking that out. So we have talked about Star Wars. We have talked about Warhammer 40K. We have talked about Shadowrun. We have talked about Starfinder. We have talked about Rifts. We have gone deep into um, science fiction, fantasy, 
because we are so excited for Starfinder to come out. Um, Starfinder is coming out at Gen Con in August. I believe it's the second weekend in August, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'll figure it out on August 1st for sure. But yes, <laughs> the, um, so, um, look for that game in August. Um, Paizo publishing is an amazing publishing company and this, you know, if you want to make it your first RPG, make it your first RPG. If you're playing RPGs and you want to check out something new, check this out. It looks like it's going to be an awesome game. I was your host, Super Vegan Brian. Um, we're hopefully have the rest of us back next week. We had amazing guest, uh, veteran freelance game designer, Mike Myler. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for having me. This has been Nerd Podcast Radio. Stay informed, stay nerdy, and stay awesome. Hey, have a good one, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thanks again for having me. That was, that was fun.